Somewhere in his early midlife, King Solomon walked away from a relationship with the living God. He married many foreign women and they turned his heart away from the singular worship of God to a belief in multiple gods. And the Bible says that Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, that he didn't serve the Lord wholeheartedly as his father David had. And so Solomon has a Jeremiah 2 experience that's spoken of centuries later by Jeremiah when he says to the disobedient people of Israel, you have forsaken me, the Lord says, the fountain of living water, and you've dug for yourselves clay wells that cannot hold any water. So Solomon forsook the fountain of living waters. And, and so when he had uh, multiple wives with multiple gods and multiple definitions of God and multiple paths to God, then you can have really no fixed truth. And so Solomon bought into something called under the sun only living. And the under the sun only living, as we talked about, had two components. The, the first component is because there are multiple gods from multiple backgrounds, then God really cannot be defined. So no one can speak with definity about the reality of God. And the second part of under the sun only living is that you pursue an Epicurean lifestyle that says the chief end of man or the goal of man is to have pleasure and to reduce pain. And you have this pleasure in a lifestyle that is socially acceptable. Solomon wasn't a wild, riotous guy, he, but he pursued pleasure. And, and he went down the path of different disciplines and they were always a dead end street. He went down the path of wisdom. He said, I'm gonna give myself to wisdom and I'm gonna learn and I'm gonna do this. And he says, ultimately wisdom is futile. And then he says, I'm gonna go down the path of pleasure. And Solomon built beautiful homes and beautiful palaces and he, developed vineyards and he became a wine connoisseur and he developed uh, men and female singers and he gave himself to all of these disciplines and he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. But at the end of the day, Solomon said, pleasure doesn't do it. And then he pursued labor. He said, I'm going to work hard and I'm going to give myself to getting entrepreneurial, doing the right thing. And he said, but you know, at the end of the day, I'm not really sure who will inherit my wealth. Will they be wise or will they be a fool? And will they really remember my name after I'm dead and I'm gone? So he said, labor, dead end street. And then he pursued the accumulation of wealth. He became fantastically wealthy. But at the end of the day, he said, that really doesn't satisfy. And so Solomon lived his life as an under the sun only Epicurean with his feet firmly planted in midair. There, there's no foundation. There's no place to really plant your feet. So as I look at Solomon's life, and he's writing Ecclesiastes 11 and 12 as a man who's coming home. He's coming home. He says, I, I can't live with the consequences of a worldview that is under the sun. Only. So he's coming home. And as he's coming home, the question I have as I've thought about this is, is he talks in this passage about, about a goad and a, a nails being nailed in place and there being one shepherd. And as I thought about the goad or a, or a shepherd's staff or a rod, who is shepherding your life? Who calls the shots in your life? Who or what is the ultimate wisdom in your life? There, there are many people here today who are wavering, 
Some people really aren't in the Christian faith at all. But, but we believe that there is one shepherd and his name is Jesus. And he's the good shepherd. Solomon's daddy said this. He said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Did you hear that? Your, your, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You, you go before me. You, you lead me into green pastures and still waters. You, you restore my soul. You anoint my head with oil. You are the glorious good shepherd. Who's shepherding your heart? Who's shepherding your life? Who, who, who really guides you? What, what you know? In, in Proverbs 5, Solomon is writing before he fell into this, under the sun only living. He talks about the importance of, of living a pure life. And he says that, that the man who does not live a pure life, says this, at the end of his, your life you will groan when your flesh and your body are spent. And you will say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of ruin in the assembled congregation. And there are people here who are you're at the brink of ruin. So the, so the question is, who is shepherding your soul? Your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. Some of us follow shepherds that are just, they're incompetent. I mean, they, they, mean, they may mean well, but they're incompetent. And I thought about incompetence and trying to do the right thing. Years ago, I was with my wife and I were with a couple. We'd eaten in Charleston, coming back to Mount Pleasant and going across the bridge. It was at night. It was dark, obviously. And, and as we came over uh, one of the places in the bridge, there was a car broken down and uh, ha had no warning lights on, no flashers. And I had to swerve to miss it. And I thought, good grief, this is an accident. This is, this is going to be an accident. And so trying to be a good Samaritan, we pulled over very quickly. And I told the guy who was, who was, who was a a resident, been to medical school, said, come on, we need to do something. And so I happened to have some, some flares in my trunk. I popped the trunk and grabbed the flares. And I said, you know, I do a flare. He said, yeah. And so I said, I'll get the flashlight. And, and, um, and, and so he jumped up, he was on the bridge. And about five seconds later, looked at him and said, I dropped the flares in the Cooper River. I went, great. And then I went around and started waving the flashlight, and a couple of cars went by. But then a Charleston policeman came up with his light on, so the day was saved. But I thought, you know, you dropped the flares in the Cooper River. So you, I was incompetent. I was well-meaning, but I was incompetent. And I thought about that this week. I listened to a podcast by a woman named Marianne Williamson. You've probably heard of her. She's written some books that have been bestsellers. I don't know why, but she, they are. She, she's a New Age guru. Uh, she says, all religions are the same. There's no ultimate definition of God except the way you define him and God is love and you must express love. And as you express love, you'll release energy in your body and there'll be some type of energy that heals people, heals yourself, so forth and so on. And, and I really think she's well-meaning, but she's, listen, she's incompetent. She's, she's just incompetent. 
Because God hasn't opened her eyes to see the beauty of Christ. There is only one shepherd, and his name is Jesus. And he says this, I am the gate to the sheepfold. You go in and out by me, and you find safe pasture. He says, I am the good shepherd. I go before my sheep, and I call them by name, and they follow me. Listen, who's your shepherd? Who's holding the rod or the staff? And that's what Solomon has come home because he sees the beauty of the shepherding goodness of Jesus Christ. So, so, so to get to this place, though, where Solomon is, he's come home. And as you come home, some of you, you've got to understand the truth about God and about yourselves. Uh, the, the truth about God is that he's eternal, he's glorious, he's good, he's triune, he's unchanging. He is God. And he's glorious. And he's the shepherd king. And he's prophet, priest, and he's king. So, so, and also the truth about yourselves. We need shepherding. I don't care who you are, no matter your age, your IQ, we need shepherding. I was reading this week trying to follow the, the uh, kerfuffle, the dust up over Kevin Hart and the Oscars. You know, Kevin Hart, a comedian of note, was asked to be the host of the Oscars as they were a couple months away. And after he accepted, there was somebody that did some research and found out that somewhere in his comic routine years ago, he made some comments, some jokes about people that would be called LGBTQ, and they demanded that he not be the host. And even after he apologized, uh, that wasn't enough. And so Kevin Hart, under, I think, duress, uh, is not going to host the Oscars. So I'm really not here to address that, but he's not doing it. But then subsequent to that, he released a tweet several that apologized. And in one tweet that said this, he says, um, I am almost 40 years old and I'm in love with the man I am becoming. You live and you learn and you grow and you mature. I live to love, close quote, December the 6th history. So, so there is, uh, there's part of that you go, well, that's pretty cool. But listen, as I read the first part, I'm in love with the man I'm becoming. And I, I just thought, if, if you really believe that, which is what we're told to believe, really, you'll never come to Jesus. You just won't. I'm in love intuitively, intrinsically with the person I'm becoming. Because Jesus, is, it's, it's so clear. Jesus says, for example, in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. How do you get rest? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I, as long as I'm going to say, I'm in love with the man I'm becoming, I've got it all together, I've got the world in my hip pocket, I will never run to Jesus. I was reading John 15, and I just thought, this, this language is so, you know these verses, if you've been a Christian very long. John 15, verse four, Jesus says, abide in my word, and I, oh, excuse me, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me, Jesus says. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And I, I read that and I go, you know, this is so clear. Jesus says that, that if you're going to produce any 
spiritual fruit that's honoring unto me, you've got to come to me and cling to me and love me and, and listen to me and take my yoke upon you because you've got to abide in me. So either we say I'm, I'm in love with the person I'm becoming or we read the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 who, who says, the good things I want to do, I don't do. And the bad things I want to do, that's what I sometimes do. And then he says this in verse 24, wretched man that I am, wretched man, who will deliver me from this body of death? He said, well, you know, Paul may have been young in his faith. No, no. This was, Romans is written 25 years after Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus and was converted. He'd already written 1st and 2nd Thessalonians and 1st and 2nd Corinthians. He was in the game. He was there. He was an apostle, an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ, writing at least 12 books of the New Testament. And he says, wretched man that I am. See, I think I run to Jesus. I cling to him if I cry out with the apostle Paul. Wretched man that I am. Who would deliver me from this body of death. See, if, if you live with only under the sun perspectives, which is God cannot be defined, don't know about eternity. If you live that way, you have no foundation on which to live and, and life will mock you. Life will mock you. Life, life, listen, listen, without Jesus and the reality of heaven, life is a bait and switch routine. Bait and switch. You know what that is? You know, you're promised this and you're given that. We were in Bangkok shopping years ago in Thailand and we bought a, a pot. I think it's a pot for, for a family member. And the shop in which we bought it said, would you like for us to wrap, gift wrap this pot? I thought, yeah, yeah why not? Yeah, that'd be good. And so they took the pot back into the shop where I couldn't see them, and they wrapped it. And I'm standing there unsuspecting. They come out, and they give it to me. It's a beautiful box. I said, thank you very much. That, I wasn't expecting that. Oh, have a good day, sir. You know, swadika, you know. Come home, give the pot to our family member. They open the bag, package. Guess what? That's not the pot I bought. But they're in Bangkok. I can't exactly go back and berate them and get the right pot. It's called bait and switch. That's the way it happens. That's life. Or, you know, some of you know this very well. Some of you, um, peanuts. Charlie Brown and Lucy Van Pelt. Well, first of all, you never trust anybody with Van in front of their name. I'm saying that. Those Dutch, you can't trust those Dutch. So Lucy, Lucy Van Pelt. Charlie Brown says, I want to kick the football. Can I trust you? He says, oh, sure. Boom, boom. Every time, every time. Charlie Brown, bait and switch. Just think about some of these areas. It's been addressed in the book of Ecclesiastes. Bait and switch in the area of the physical. Chapter 11 talks about the breakdown of the body. Bait and switch in the area of vitality, spiritual health. You, you just get, you know, this is bowl season. A lot of times at a big bowl game, they'll, they'll bring out. The, the, these, these, these football players played in this bowl 30 and 40 or 50 years ago. Listen, whenever that happens, I avert my eyes. I don't look because it's so discouraging. 
These former gladiators can barely walk. They're bent. They're old. And I'm going, oh, my soul. It happens. I was reading the other day, I was thinking about Pearl Harbor, and somebody said, if you know a World War II vet, shake their hand and say thank you because there are very few left alive today. We, we die. It, it, it just happens. Some of us go to a funeral and we think about it, and then two hours later we're unfazed. I was thinking about a guy named Jim Fix this week. Jim Fix was the author of the complete book of running. Bestseller on the New York Times bestseller list for three months almost. Uh, published in 1977. Jim Fix was the guru, one of the architects of the American fitness revolution in the 70s. Jim Fix, 1970 or whatever, uh, looked himself in the mirror. He was 35 years old, weighed 220 pounds, um, two-pack-a-day smoker. He couldn't walk across the room without breathing heavily. And he said, I'm going to start running. And so he did. And so he lost 60 pounds, and he quit smoking, and he wrote this book and became one of the publishers for Runner's World. I bought the book, and I subscribed to the magazine when I used to run. And Jim Fix was a very gifted man. He was the son of a New York Times, excuse me, the Times Magazine editor. He was in the high IQ club called the Mensa Society, wrote several books on solving riddles. I mean, he's a very gifted guy. Jim Fix said in an interview in Runner's World, he says, when I, when I get old to, to die, they're going to have to cut my chest open and take my heart out and beat it to death because I'm going to stay in shape. Two years later, at the age of 52, he's jogging, and he dropped dead of a heart attack. Family history, bad health history. And the truth is, we can boast about this stuff, but we're, we're going to die. And that's what Ecclesiastes says, you're going to die. Life without a foundation mocks you. It just mocks you. It does. It's the bait and switch. I, I thought the bait and switch in, in other areas... Uh, you talked about, Solomon talked about a job. You know, you're, you're in a job. You know, we meet people all the time. We're in a job for 30 or 40 years, and they decide to downsize, and they give you a, a gold watch and a cake, and they say goodbye. And you thought you were indispensable, and you realized you're not. One of my favorite people in this church says frequently to me, the graveyard is full of people that are irreplaceable. <laughs> it's true. Jobs. I think of Children. You know, you have these children, and well, they're wonderful. And I mean, you, you, you enjoy your children, and you think, wow, these are, th th this is great. And then your children go up, and guess what? They leave. They leave. Now, I'm telling you, those of us who have daughters, uh, we laugh about this, but it's hard to give your daughter away. It's hard. B because... Uh, you realize when you give your daughter away that you're no longer the main man. You're not. And, and I have a wonderful, wonderful daughter, and she married a godly guy, and I'm so glad, and, and he, he's a godly guy to date. And we're watching him. <laughs> he's being keenly observed everywhere he goes. No, seriously, you, you, you give your daughter away and, and, and you're no longer the main man. And then a few years later, they have a child and, and you're no longer even on the, on the B team. You're in the bleachers with the students 
that pay 10 bucks to get in. I mean, you're, you're just kind of an afterthought. But you know what? If you have a foundation in Jesus, you realize God gives you children as a gift to nurture them for the coming generations. You don't cling to them forever. You realize you, you're maturing them to send them out. And you realize that your job is, is something where you are to proclaim Christ and pursue the spirit of excellence, but your ultimate job is to honor and glorify God in whatever you do. And, and when it comes to your health, you realize that, yes, your body falls apart, and yes, you break legs, unless you have shoulder replacement surgery. But guess what? In the new heavens and new earth, you get a resurrection body that is glorious beyond words. But if you live only under the sun, I'm telling you, life mocks you. It mocks you. Your marriage. Your marriage. Um, man to man this week, guys, the guys at our table were talking about how are we going to serve our wife this Christmas? And uh, one man said, I'm going to ask my wife to give me a list of things that she wants to be done around the house while I'm home for a few days. Another guy said, I'm going to make some meals for my wife. I said, great. Another guy says, I, I take my wife tea in, her, in bed every morning and then I unload the dishwasher. And we said, thanks for that, man. Don't tell anybody you do that. And we looked at one guy, young guy, and we said, he said, uh, well, how about you? And he says, all my wife wants for Christmas is just for me to be me. And we all laughed because we knew, and we all, because we knew that, you know, let me tell you, your, your spouse does not want you to be you. Your spouse wants you to be in touch with your union with Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit change you. And, uh, you know, there's a, a popular song that says, all I want for Christmas is what? No, that's not my two front teeth. You know, if you, you old people, that's not the answer. That, that happened last time. Somebody said, my two front teeth. I said, where have you been living? In West Virginia? I mean, good grief. There's a popular song by someone named Mariah Carey, if you've heard of her. She is a singer. And if you go to any department store here for the next week and a half, you'll hear that played endlessly. All I want for Christmas is, Danny, tell us how. You, somebody under the age of barely 40. But you old people, my two front teeth. I mean, it's just, yeah. I, it's, people started laughing in the last service. I had, what were they laughing about? So everybody saw, said my two front teeth. I said, good grief. Anyway. Let me just say this. If you are newly married or maybe you're, you're, you're trying to encourage a young woman to marry you and they look at you and they say, we don't want anything for Christmas, realize that is a lie. If you're newly married and your wife comes downstairs or in the room on Christmas Day and you have a bow on your head, and you say, all you want for Christmas is, 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 is me, I'm giving you me, just have some marriage counselors on your speed dial because you're going to need it. You know, don't, don't believe it. But you know, really, marriage is an up and down relationship. It's, it's got peaks and valleys and some peaks are high and some valleys are low. And, and if you have a foundation in Jesus and you realize it's a covenant relationship and it's to mirror the reality of Christ and his church, which means there is forgiveness and, and love and, and embrace, you're okay. But if you're only under the sun, people, and you're only married as long as they meet your needs or they make you happy, you're not going to make it. You will not make it. And, and, and the earth, excuse me, this worldview mocks you. So let's go to the text and make a few principles and we're done. This is Ecclesiastes 12. We'll just read verse 9 and 10 and keep on going. 
in verse 9 and 10, the preacher Solomon speaks in the third person. He says, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. So he searched carefully, gave great care to it. He wrote words of delight that gives you hope. And he uprightly wrote. And then he says in verse 11, he says three things. The words of the wise are like goads. So this goad is a stick which you, just like a staff. They're like goads. And like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings that are given by the one shepherd. In other words, there's one shepherd. And the one shepherd has given us goats. Who's your shepherd? Who's, your, who's holding the staff? But also they are nails firmly driven in place. My, especially my West Coast son and his wife, love to do the sport of rock climbing, which has become very popular among young people. In rock climbing, you uh, put in a hook, hopefully there's a hook there sometimes, and you go up uh, a sheer rock face, sometimes for hundreds and hundreds of feet. It's, it's a very, I've tried to talk them into badminton or shuffle board, but they're into rock climbing. And uh, th th they tell me that it's a safe sport, but I don't, I don't believe it. Uh, but I've been with them, and they'll put things, they'll have this rope here and this rope here, and they are pretty anchored in, I pray and I hope. But, but there is something called free soloing. And that is, uh, this, this woman, let me show you the, a rock climber here, if you, I, I don't think you can see. But this guy is climbing, but he's got ropes that are, hooked on to other things that, that if he falls, they'll catch him, supposedly. But this woman is free soloing, and, and people climb sheer rocks like that with nothing holding them in place, just with their hands. And if you Google free soloing, you realize that free soloing oftentimes has a limited life expectancy. It's true. I mean, there have been guys who said, I free solo for 20 years, but then he died. I mean, you, you fall. I mean, you're going to fall. And, and they're, they're clinging, but there's nothing to hold them in place. Listen, Solomon says that, that, that the word of God are like nails firmly placed so you can climb. There's some people today who are free soloing. They, they're doing it their own way. They're, they're, they'll read the Bible, but they're really not committed to the authority of the Bible and the authority of Jesus in their lives. And the, so there's not really one shepherd, and they're going back and forth. And just, don't do that. Free soloing leads to destruction. If you could have just observed life, that's what happens. It leads to destruction. So, and then he goes on, he says, verse 12, he says, uh, my son, beware of anything beyond these, or making many of, or making many books. There is no end. Other making many books, there is no end, and much study is weariness to the flesh. Now, he says, be very careful. Be very careful that you don't go beyond what's written, beyond the scripture. 
be, be, be very careful. And this says, of, of the making of many books is, is a weariness to the soul. Now listen, I love to read. I picked up the Wall Street Journal two weeks ago and they had a special year in edition. About 75 people saying the best book they've read all year. And I breezed through, they were entertainers and politicians and sports figures and, 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 and writers. And I just thought, well, I'd like to read that. I'm read that and that and that and that and that. And I wrote, take a, wrote down a list in my journal. So I need to just try to get the library to get these books. I love to read. So be readers. Yeah. But what he's saying is this. He says, you, you, there, is, there is a mindset that's spoken of in 2 Timothy 3. It says this, always learning, but never coming to an understanding of the truth. And there, there are people out there who are who, they're always learning, but they never come to an understanding of foundational truth. Um, we would call them postmodern. And, and what he's saying here is, is you need to understand that there is a shepherding authority. It's called the Bible. And we give ourselves to that. We, we test everything by the scripture. There, there's a statement in something called the Baptist Faith and Message, which is a confessional document that we hold to at this church. It says this. He says, says, the Bible is the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creed, and religious opinion should be tried. So in other words, we read everything in life through the sieve, the grid of the scripture. See? So we love, we love to learn from people. We, we appreciate even people like Heidegger or Nietzsche or Camus or Sartre who all were non-believers, but, but, but they say some incredibly insightful things, but, but, but we always judge writings by the authority of the Bible, conduct, opinions, creeds. So, so Solomon is just exhorting us to, to understand that. John Calvin says so well, he says, again, it's in your worship guide, he says, for we should so reason that the splendor of the divine countenance is for us like an inextricable labyrinth. He said, now trying to understand the character of God is impossible unless we are conducted into it by the thread of the word of God so that it is better to limp along this path than to dash with all speed outside of it. I love that. It's better to limp along the path of the good shepherd than to run with Olympic speed outside of it that's going nowhere. And so my, my, my plea to you uh, as, as I read this is let us be people of the book. Let us, let us let the word of God shape your character. See, because that is the foundation. So he says, much study is a weirdness to the flesh. It's interesting. There's a man named Richard Swinson who was on the medical faculty at the University of Wisconsin, Madison. He was in charge of a certain discipline, and the people he worked with had a four- or five-year residency. And Dr. Swinson said he would call them, and they'd sit down in his office, and he would say, if this is the total knowledge in our discipline right now, and you are here, and you study with all of your might, and your knowledge goes from here to here in five years, guess what? the total knowledge in our discipline will have gone out here. <laughs> he says, what's humbling is that your knowledge in your discipline today 
is more capacious and, and more true to form than it will be in five years because we cannot keep up. He said, my whole point is to say, live a life of balance. Work hard, but realize nobody knows everything. I think he's right. So, so you see this explosion of knowledge, and then you also say, but, but if, if you don't believe in foundational truth, you have no place to stand. So I, I would just say to you, who is your shepherd? The Bible says that all scriptures give by inspiration of God and is profitable for all of life. And it says this, that so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you want to be thoroughly equipped? Be in the Bible. I mean, just do it. Psalm 19 says, the Bible is sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By it, your servant is warned in keeping them, there is great reward. I just think. So in, in Solomon's experience, in 1 Kings chapter 10, right before he had his nose dive in chapter 11, something happens. There's a, a well-known, powerful queen from we think Yemen area or southern Saudi Arabia. And she heard about this incredibly wise and gifted king in Israel by the name of Solomon. And so she got together a big retinue of camels and gold and silver and costly gems and spices and scholars. And she, she says, I'm going to visit this guy and really see if he's who he claims to be. And so she does that. And this is what the scripture says. She she came to Jerusalem with all this gold and precious stones and this large troop of people. And Solomon answered all of her questions. She couldn't stump him. And, and there was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And she was a very powerful woman. She, she wasn't just a... And, it says, and, and, and when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon and the house that he had built and the food of his table and the seating of his officials and the attendance of his servants and their clothing, his cup bearers and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord God Jehovah, there was no more breath in her. She was so blown away, she couldn't speak. Now that's an impressive guy. That's an impressive guy. She was just totally overwhelmed by Solomon. Listen, and she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports. And uh, until I came and my own eyes have seen it and behold, the half was not told to me. You're twice as good as they said you were. I've never had anybody say that to me, by the way. She says, your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord Jehovah loved Israel forever. He has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. In other words, Solomon, you are the man. I mean, you, you, the, the people around you are just blessed. They're, they're blessed to hear your wisdom, to see your life, to see the way you organize, to see the way you think, your capacious organ. I mean, you, you, you're the guy. She says, it takes my breath away. And so she gave him tons of gold and costly stones and silver and spices. And then it says this in chapter 
10, verse 24. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Every one of them brought his present articles of silver and gold and garments and myrrh and spices and horses and mules so much year by year by year. And Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And then the next chapter, he falls into sin. And he goes through a decades of under the sun only living. But really, so the queen of Sheba goes, wow. You've got it. You got it together. You think about that. Just think that. But then listen to listen to Christ in Matthew chapter twelve. Jesus says, "Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you.' But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah." For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, where Jonah preached, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Something far greater than the prophet Jonah is here. It's Jesus. Then he says, verse 42, the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus. So I read that and I go, you know, the queen of Sheba said, man, listen to Solomon. Man, he's the king. I can't ask him any question he doesn't answer. Look at his organization, look at his skills, look at his diplomacy, look at how he's arranged his court, look at the men and women around him. He's got, he's got, listen to him. What would she say? And how much more vibrantly would she say it if she were told someone greater than Solomon is here, is God in the flesh. It's just not a wise king who had feet of clay, obviously, but it is the very God of gods and light of lights. His name is Jesus. He's eternally God, and he's speaking right now. She would have said with 1,000 times the voice, listen to him. And all I'm saying is, is we have it. We have it. We have the scripture. I love to sing the Christmas hymns, veiled in flesh that God had see, hell incarnate deity, Charles Wesley. Or Isaac Watts singing, writing Joy to the World, where it says, No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He came to make his blessings flow, for as the curse is found. And I read that. Listen to me. I read that and I say, you know, for people who love the Lord and understand the work of Jesus and his shed blood on the cross, who receive the gift of faith, he says, be new people in Christ. Don't just survive in your marriage. Don't just have a peaceful acquiescence with your kids. Love them. Don't feel like you've got to medicate yourself every night with wine to go to bed. 
Don't, don't let these things bring you down because he has come to make his people whole. And I ask, who's shepherding your soul? Who's, who's holding the rod and the staff? So I'm going to give you an application statement. It's going to take about five minutes. And my application is this, receive the scripture. Receive the scripture. I'm going to just appreciate some guys talking to me about this and helping me think through this. So the word of God was given, brothers and sisters, I'm talking to believers this morning right now. The word of God was given to change us. Hebrews 4 says the word of God is living and active and is sharper than a double-edged sword. And, and, and it cuts to the vision, the vision of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. And, and the word of God is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And, and so the, the, the first thing I need to do when I receive the word is this. I need to get on my knees and say, God, I, I want to receive from you. I'm not going to stand in judgment over the Bible. The Bible stands in judgment over me. And I have to ask myself, I ask you, is the scripture shaping your character? Has the word of God exposed you? James says it's like a, a mirror. I mean, it's, it's glorious, but has the word of God exposed you? So, so first of all, we, we say, Lord, speak, teach, show us your way. And, and, then, and then just some practical things, a couple of things here. Forgive me if this is a little lower shelf, but go to bed so you can get up and spend time with the Lord. I say, well, no, thank you for that. Think about it. Um, so some of you say, well, I, I'm not a morning person. Well, I, I am. So please forgive me for maybe being a little bit browbeating here. But I believe in the Lord that I should see the face of God in the morning before I see anybody else's face and to pray to get my heart right. And so even if you're not a morning person, get some five-hour energy drink or Joke Cola or whatever you can drink to get you hyped up you know, and awake. But just, I would just say go to bed so you can get up and spend time with God. And so... Let me give you a little pattern. I'll suggest to you. It's easy for me to read something and forget it. And my wife says it's easy for me to hear something and forget it. But it's easy for me to also read something and forget it. So what I'm suggesting is that, is that for three or four weeks, we pick three chapters. Um, and we read those same three chapters every day. For example, I'm doing 2 Thessalonians now, which has three chapters, which makes it easy. Next month, I'm going to do the Farewell Discourse in John, just I'm thinking about what I want to study. And as you read those three chapters, underline key words. And then as you read those three chapters, pick out four or five verses, write them down, and think through and pray through those verses. Because if you do that, you get the word in your life. You see that? Instead of, I'm all for Bible reading, but, but this is more of a discursive reading of the Bible. I think it's very profitable. I mean, for example, I'm in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. says uh, he, he applauds the church for their abundant faith and their increasing love. So my application statement this week is I need to have 
and abundant faith. The faith is trusting God and going out in an increasing love. I need to love increasingly all types of people in the name of Jesus, even people that I'm not drawn to. So I'm saying, I'm praying, Lord, make me loving towards fill in the blank. I mean, some of them are right here in the third row. So I'm praying for you guys. Thank you. Just kidding. Um, but but that, that, that type of thing. So, so you get in your word. And then I'm, I'm trying to spend more time in the book of Proverbs. I love Proverbs. It's just the aphorisms of a, of a wise man. And so what I do is I'll, I'll just read, today is the 16th, so I'll read Proverbs 16. Tomorrow's the 17th. I'll read Proverbs what? 17. See, it's pretty easy. Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. But, but I just want you to get the word in your life. And, and listen, communicate that to a friend. Say, well, my three, my three chapters are boom. What are your three chapters? Somebody in your community group, maybe your spouse, whatever. And, and, and then come up with a weekly application statement. I, I, I want, listen, I want to change. I want the word of God to change me. And also we talk about our Christmas. Let me just say this. Lottie Moon, you heard from Craig, did a great job. Um, we want all the worshipers here, I want all the worshipers here who claim the name of Jesus to give to Lottie Moon. Some of us are students and we can't give that much, but all of us can give something. And I say $200 a person, if you're working just as a, 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 a goal, some of us can give much more. But, but we, we are part of a great movement and we're commissioned to send people out. Some of us will go to the nations, all of us will go to the neighborhoods, see? So some of us will go to the unreached people groups, the nations, but all of us are called to go to the neighborhoods. We, we come here to be refreshed and encouraged and built up and to hug people and to be, to be loved. And I, like I went to the Christmas concert last night and I felt so energized. I saw people and I hugged them. It was great. And, but but we, we're energized on the Lord's day to go out to represent Christ. We are an army of people representing Jesus. So, so we're called to the neighborhoods and some will go to the nations. So this Christmas season, speak the name of Jesus to somebody, this, this minimally churched. And it, it can be something like, you know, we were singing the other day, um, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. The, the Bible says that Jesus was God in the flesh. Who do you think Jesus was? Just, if they say, well, I, I, I don't know. So that's, that's interesting. You don't even have the same thing, but just say the name of Jesus to somebody. His name, the Bible says his name shall be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's interesting, isn't it? Huh? Oh, what do you think about that? I mean, it's just, just easy. Just have a conversation. But let's, let's, let's be the church that God called us to be. And Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. And thank you for um, Solomon coming home. He, he came home. He came home from an under the sun only type of thinking. And, and uh, now he says, in reflection, he says, really there is only one shepherd and he holds the staff and he's nailed nails in place to show us how to climb up a rocky ledger. He, he's done this for us. And Lord, we thank you that you are the good shepherd and that you love your sheep and you go before them and you call them by name and forgive us for all too often listening to incompetent shepherds who are spiritually blind. We want to hear from you. We want to know you. So take the Bible 
and change us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.